This podcast from Teacher Magazine is supported by Southern Cross University. Study a Master of Education online and complete your degree in 16 months part-time. Develop skills that will help drive change through contemporary real-world strategies and bring positive outcomes to student and teacher well-being. For more information, visit online.scu.edu.au. Hello, and thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Rebecca Vukovic. My guest for the second episode in our Behaviour Management podcast series is Phil Beadle, a teacher, education consultant, public speaker, author, and broadsheet columnist. Phil was once named Secondary Teacher of the Year in the UK, and is considered an expert in the areas of literacy and behaviour management. In today's podcast, he joins me on the line from the UK to discuss behaviour management, but in particular, the different de-escalation techniques that educators can use to manage challenging behaviours in their classrooms. Phil Beadle, thanks for joining Teacher Magazine. Uh, You said that when it comes to de-escalation, it's important to act quickly, be decisive, pick a technique and put it into action straight away. So what are some of the most effective de-escalation techniques you'd recommend to teachers? Well, can I first say that perhaps that's a a little bit glib, um, and I'm aware, I think it's why are you shouting at us that that, that's in. Um, Yeah, that that is a bit bit of a glib thing in that the the choice of when you put a a, um, de-escalation technique is probably the most complex thing of all in that you've got so many different things to consider and you have to consider them so quickly. Um, yeah, it, in, a, in a crisis stage, then, then you, you have to rapidly do a very, very quick risk assessment. And it might be that the appropriate de-escalation technique is just to, to stand there and observe. Um, alternatively, it might be to, to come in really quite quickly. For me, at an early stage of a behavioral incident, then the redirection is, is generally generally the best technique where you just redirect the child away from their their emotional landscape you redirect the child away from the triggers and just put them onto something else now that can be quite as simple as yeah let's just focus on the work forget about it kind of tactically ignoring or it can take a more kind of pleasingly surreal bent where you yeah you just deliberately employ some some kind of surreal humor when they're, they're being triggered so if some yeah somebody for instance has said something unpleasant about someone's mum um, you, yeah, you might reply, well, yeah, but what about the fact that my mum still buys my clothes and I'm over 50? And, and in doing so, you've just redirected them away from the, their emotional landscape. Another thing that I think is a really fantastically useful technique for teachers is just stating your recognition of a child's emotional state. So simply the, the phrase, I can see that you're getting upset, helps them to recognize that they're getting upset themselves and put their own controls in place. Because mm-hmm. one thing that I found really interesting is that you've said that humour can be one of the be- can be one of the best de-escalation techniques. Why have you found that humour works best? Well, there's some absolutely kind of fascinating science about this actually, and that scientists' best guesses as to how laughter evolved is that it's the relaxation of the grimace of extreme mortal fear. So if you can imagine you're in, you know, on the African savanna in the Paleolithic times running away from a saber-toothed tiger, 
you would be, you know, your face would go into this kind of rictus grimace. Um, and then the saber-toothed tiger breaks their leg as they're running after you. It, it's that kind of relaxation of absolute uptightness that is how laughter is meant to have evolved. Now, if you're making a student laugh at the beginning of the process when they're triggered into reactive anger, then what you're actually doing is you short-circuited them to, towards the end. And so laughter is a redirection technique, which of course is not recommended for kids with, with kind of autistic spectrum disorders. And laughter is a redirection technique takes them to the end of the process, but it also takes them outside of the self. And there's, there's a wonderful phrase about laughter there. It's kind of the, the shortest distance between two people. So it's a brilliant way of, of achieving rapport and then being able to re- redirect kids away from their emotional state and then back onto the work. Yeah. And I guess now on a more practical level, when a teacher is being presented with behaviour that's immensely challenging, what techniques could they use to de-escalate this behaviour? Can you talk me through some of the steps they should take? Well, the, the first thing is, is in just two words, go cold. Um, much of student behaviour, certainly um, whilst not reactive anger, the proactive anger, much of student behaviour is about desiring a, a behaviour from the teacher. It's about controlling the teacher's behaviour. And what children in, in the state of manipulative aggression want is they want an emotional response. They want you to behave emotionally because if you behave emotionally, then you're not going to be entirely in charge. So the first thing we do in, in really troubling situations is we go cold and then we go by the book. So, for instance, I had a situation this year where you know, an erstwhile quite delightful young man, Charlie, threw a book in my face mm-hmm. in front of the rest of the class. And you know, I did find myself in the, the absurd situation of <laughs> going, well, what do I write that you should do here? Um, and, and we go unemotional immediately and then go back to the book. So Charlie chucked the book in my face and, and wandered out and I found myself feeling somewhat impotent. As I said, that was entirely inappropriate behavior as he slammed the door off his hinges. Mm-hmm. And, go, and there will be a sanction, Charles. Um, and, and whilst that does feel slightly impotent, actually it's a trained professional response. Um, so if you're dealing with immensely challenging behavior, be certain that you do not give an emotional response, but you give a professional one. Mm. So what about for more minor infringements? What can a teacher do to ensure that these minor disruptions don't escalate into more serious issues? Well, it, it's about being with it from the off, really. Um, if I'm sitting in the back of our teachers' lessons, kind of judging their validity by ticking um, things on a clipboard, the first thing that I'll note is that the minor, if, if minor behavioural infractions are not challenged, such as if gum is not spat into the bin straight away, if there's not an insistence on the minor rules, if there are bags on the table, if the jackets are not on the chairs, then actually that's a classroom in which the, the bigger behavioural incidents are going to take place. So with minor stuff, it's all about nipping it in the bud absolutely immediately. And uh, yeah, there's, a, again, quite a nice phrase, just sweat the small stuff and then the big stuff doesn't happen. Yeah. And you said before, and I like this quote, what's best for the child? That's a mantra that teachers have got to have in their souls. And I guess with this in mind, how do teachers de-escalate the tension from poorly behaving students while ensuring that the well-behaved students aren't negatively affected at the same time? Well, managing behaviour adequately or well is an entirely egalitarian approach. 
so what do the you know the high achieving and more more compliant students want they they want a calm and purposeful environment in which they can learn so we have to differentiate our behavior to to focus on on those students for whom behavior is, is more of a challenge in order to keep the um the classroom purposeful and and, and people learning so you won't have a situation where um a, a kind of more compliant student will be upset that a teacher is actively managing the behaviour of the the, the, the the kids for whom behaviour is more of a challenge. The what's best for the child mantra is is in specific reference to the most challenging of all situations. So we're hitting a really heavyweight crisis stage, and you know the child's behaviour is distinctly unlovable. It's in these these kind of crisis-related incidents that we we have this mantra: "What's best for the child." And there's also this, you know, really delightful phrase that you know, "Who needs the most love in the room?" is the person who's behaving in the most unlovable manner. Mm. Yeah, that is a great quote because often it is about timing and a teacher knowing when they should intervene. So, is there any kind of rules on when a teacher should intervene when a student is behaving badly? Yeah, I think to a certain extent we've covered this in in the first question. Mm. In that it, the the point at which you intervene is probably the most technically complex of all because you've got so many distinct things, and there is there is an element to that that it can't really be trained that it's to do with the own te- the teacher's professional discretion and crucially, to do with their relationship with the students. In that if if you have an active and productive relationship with the student then that's going to affect the way in which you intervene and the time in which you intervene. Whereas if you have no relationship whatsoever with the student, that's going to affect your behavior. And also probably if you have no relationship whatsoever with the student, you want to observe for a little bit more to see what's happening. Yeah. And I've been thinking a little bit about personal triggers. So how do teachers actually identify their own personal triggers and responses to poor behavior? Oh God, well, this is kind of a lifelong journey, really. Mm. In that, you know, I've only been teaching for just over 20 years, and so I'm only just getting getting to an understanding of what my own personal triggers are. Um, I, I think for me, again, the key mantra here is is an understanding, and I think this is probably the most profound thing I've learned in life, let alone in teaching, is that the only thing that you can change is yourself, and that anybody that attempts to change other people is a fool. So in situations where you have a potentially a very challenging class and, and they're setting challenges on a day-to-day basis, you cannot actively change their behavior. What you can do is change the way that you react to that behavior. And it's your ability to model the process of change which cuts through to the class. Um, and it's making these kind of tiny on a day-by-day distinction where, and for instance, a I do a thing which I was taught by this brilliant guy, John Murphy, with whom I wrote the book, called the Behavioural Impact Analysis. Now, John was previously the head of a, a residential emotional behavioural difficulties unit for seven years. And his his early stages, uh, he said he was doing what's called a behavioural impact analysis on himself for every single class, every single day. And it's all about, in the most challenging circumstances, just making these, these minute changes to behavior and asking what is the effect of your own behavior as a teacher on the students and if that if that effect is negative then the behavior of the teacher has got to change mm. and so what about follow-up so once a situation has been de-escalated how do you follow up the next day 
Because is it something that needs to be acknowledged or is it better to just let it go? What, it, what we're talking about is managing a come down. So with, with reactive anger, it follows a, you know, a repetitive cycle that it takes 45 minutes for the adrenaline that's caused the outburst to, to subside and the child remains in a hair trigger state for those 45 minutes. So within that 45 minutes post a behavioral incident, then the child has to be looked after and the child has to be reassured because you know, what's one's um, automatic human reaction to having behaved very poorly? It's shame. And what we don't want is a child left to kind of separate on their own in the stew of their own shame. So what we need to do post a behavioral incident is manage that and just let the child know that everything's going to be okay. In terms of the procedural stuff post that, well, that's, that's the responsibility of, of individual schools' behavioural policies. Mm-hmm. So depending on the incident, you might be required to write it up. But my expertise is not within the procedural or within the policy. My expertise is what happens within the classroom. Mm-hmm. So once you've managed the come-down situation, yeah, but here's a word of advice. If you've got two boys fighting, don't immediately get them to shake hands afterwards because it's just going to flare up again. Um, but in terms of the, the, the kind of procedural aspect of it, that that's, you know, the individual school's kind of policies have got to be followed. Yeah, but are de-escalation techniques down to the individual teacher or are they something that can be managed by a school-wide plan? Well, clearly it's to do with the individual teacher because it's the individual teacher that will manage it. However, the issue, the school-wide issue, is do the teachers have the skill set and do they have the training? In that, you know, all of us, I think, you know, when we when we enter a classroom for the first time, post our training, feel somewhat under-equipped to deal with with some of the you know, unruly behaviours which we might be presented. Um, and my belief is that, like, the, for instance, the book, the way you shouting at us book, was was written with with an expert from behavioural units. And my my belief is that. The expertise that the people within those environments have has not actually crossed over into the mainstream. So my argument would be that each school, you know, every teacher needs training in these techniques so that they can apply them individually. Clearly the training that they receive is a matter of school policy, but in terms of um, one's, one's application of, of um, de-escalation techniques, you can't use them unless the school has a policy to equip you with the training that you you need in order to actually own them. Yeah. And just finally, Phil, I guess this is more on a personal level. When you think back on your own career, have you changed your approach to de-escalation over the years? Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I had no training whatsoever, and I, I was thinking about this this morning. I, I was gifted. I started my career in, um, in perhaps arguably the very toughest school in the East End, and there were rumours that it was going to close. There were 20 new NQTs on the first day, and I was gifted to the more challenging schools in uh, classes in that school as, as a drama teacher. And I, I recall 8D, who I, I could not control at all, um, shouting at them so loudly that I almost collapsed as it brought. Uh, stars to my eyes um, massively my, my approach has behaved ma- uh, changed massively in that uh, uh, I've become interested in it because I was so so useless at the beginning um, one becomes interested in it, one does research one reads the people doing, doing good work 
And so ultimately my, my progress has been one from chaos to calm to an extent. Um, I'm no longer, you know, so on a teaching and learning basis, I tend to pride myself of being quite a fissile element. But actually in terms of the management of behavior, I'm no longer a fissile element in the room that adds to the noise and adds to the chaos. And this um, utterly calm and surprisingly professional mm-hmm. practitioner. That's all from this podcast from Teacher Magazine. To check out the full podcast transcript and related reading, visit www.teachermagazine.com.au. To download all of our podcasts for free, head to acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or www.soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen A-C-E-R. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by Southern Cross University. Study a Master of Education online and complete your degree in 16 months part-time. Develop skills to help drive change through contemporary real-world strategies and bring positive outcomes to student and teacher well-being. For more information, visit online.scu.edu.au.